how you use them. T-minus three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the BizDoc Podcast. We got a bunch of things rolling. Interesting sports stuff over the weekend. No banks died. That was kind of nice. Finding out that, uh, you know, that uh, regional bank somewhere didn't roll over and then die and <laughs> cause some smaller company to be looking for, looking for their money so they can make payroll. So small, in the face of inflation, everything else going on, small victories. But it was um, happy Bitcoin Pizza Day. Yes, today is Bitcoin Pizza Day. Do you know what Bitcoin Pizza Day is? Well, guess what? It is May 22nd. And May 22nd commemorates, and this goes back to 2010. It's not so long ago. It's 13 years, 12 years ago. So it's not like 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. There was a programmer. His name was uh, Laszlo. And his last name, something like that, um, as I recall. But he spent 10,000 Bitcoin buying a pizza. A pizza from Papa John's, 10,000 Bitcoin. Now, had Papa John's kept those 10,000 Bitcoin, do you know what they'd be worth today? And today, remember, today is Bitcoin at 26,500, something like that, as, we, as this one comes out to you here in May of 2023. That would have been nearly a quarter of a billion dollars in Bitcoin. That's an expensive pizza, especially a takeout pizza. Even the best takeout pizza you can find, a quarter of a million dollars, certainly seems above market. But this is the dawn, and it's recognized as being the first commercial traction, transaction when people actually bought something with Bitcoin. So throw your friends. Happy Bitcoin Pizza Day once upon a time. <laughs> Back in 2010, an engineer bought a pizza with 10,000 Bitcoin. Now remember... Not too long ago, Bitcoin was over 60. So that would have been $600 million on its way to a billion. Dear God, amazing stuff. But anyway, I'm here today and back after a one week hiatus. We have the Swiss Army knife, Kellyanne. She is here. So how was your weekend? What's was, going on? What do you hear? It was good. It was really good. Um, the Heat are up three games. So that was pretty exciting. Oh, that's, that's right. Miami Heat up three games to nothing. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, a little bit later. That shows you that the prognosticators that do the following. They look at the regular season record. They look at perceptions. And then they tell you, based on the seedings, that the, that the seed is naturally going to win. Sportscasters have no idea. They're reading from a teleprompter. They're doing it. So everybody was saying, there's an 82% chance. Actually, there's a 90% chance that Boston's going to win this thing in five or six. And it's like, wait a minute, the Heat are 3-0. and Now, remember, <laughs> the Celtics are from Boston, and once upon a time, the Boston Red Sox stunned the New York Yankees and came back and won not only the American League Championship Series, but that year they won the World Series as well. So it's not unheard of in sports, but it looks pretty amazing that Jimmy Butler, who is doing a, a impersonation of, of Kobe and MJ built into one, just the way he's playing is just amazing. And the Heat, indeed, are up 3-0 on the Celtics. But as Kobe would say, remember Kobe did that press conference? You happy about the victory? I am. 
You don't seem happy about the victory. <laughs> this job's not finished. It's best of seven. I love that. Four games, and the job is finished. And love so it. it was like, wow, that's, but you know what? That's the way a cleaner, and that's the way a champion talks. That's the way it goes. Well, it's also interesting, as I saw something, how things can turn around. For those of you that love global soccer, and Brooke the soccer freak at my house seems to like that, she pointed out Manchester City won the Premier League again, and over the weekend, Arsenal was defeated, which means that no one can catch Manchester City. So suddenly, um, this is their fifth championship, Premier League, in the space of six years. So you remember like when U.S. sports teams turn around? And if you know your history, in 1980-81, the San Francisco 49ers turned around as a coach named Bill Walsh came into town, drafted a guy named Joe Montana, and the rest is history. Lots of victories, playoff victories, Super Bowls, lots of Super Bowls, and the franchise was forever changed. Likewise, in New England, Robert Kraft bought it, and at a certain point, he had some guy named Belichick be his head coach and drafted Tom Brady. So then the system and a premier player, boom, changes Lots and lots of rings, lots and lots of trophies. Well, that's what's happened with Man City. So I was noticing that uh, internationally, everybody is, you know, all about it. Remember, once upon a time, Manchester United, they had all the red. It was red, and you would see Manchester, Manchester, Manchester with all the red colors here in the U.S. And you oh, that's a Man U fan. Ah, uh, they're a Man U fan. They must get up early and watch the, the games over there. And sure enough, and I understood that because we love Formula One at our house. And when they're in Europe... We get up early on Saturday to watch qualifying and then the race on Sunday. So we completely understood this. But suddenly, suddenly, red gives way to baby blue. And it's Man City, five out of six times champion of the Premier League. So congratulations to, um, to Man City. However, now the playoffs, now the playoffs start. So different things there. Yeah. But I think it goes to tell you something. You can always turn something around. And you've seen the way in the U.S., I think of Harley-Davidson. A couple times, they have turned around their, com their company and with what they've done. And it's just been amazing. Matter of fact, I did a case study on that. You can go look at the Harley-Davidson case study a couple years ago talking about this amazing brand that was Harley-Davidson and how they turned themselves around more than once. And so sometimes it's repetitive. But you have to remember, Harley-Davidson doesn't have the luxury of being a sports team that has lived forever um, and no matter how bad you are for how many years, you know, Cleveland Browns, you know, you can, um, you can find ways to come back. And Harley-Davidson, they could have gone bankrupt. They could have been gone. But that iconic brand has made comebacks. So it can happen in business just like it happens in sports, like it's happening before our eyes here at Man City. But um, if you have a couple special requests and questions for me, let us know in chat, and Kellyanne's going to pick a couple of those out, and toward the end, we are going to go through those and see if we can deliver some gold nuggets. But right now, you know, I really hate what's going on in the U.S. economy. I am not a bear. I'm an entrepreneur, and I can see optimism 
I'm an operator, so I can see a way to get it done. And I am you know, very much all about doing the impossible and getting there. And so that's always my mindset. We can invent our way out of this. Just because the economy sucks doesn't mean that our business will suck. We can find a way through. I had a privilege being with a company called Jamdat Mobile, and there was a bunch of financing and, and things that happened in the venture world to get first rounds done in 2000, 2001, during a nuclear winter that was going on there in financing. And they heard that company would later go public at the end of 04, got bought in 05, closed in, I think, in February of 06. There's, but you would have thought, wow, what a terrible time to start a company. No, it's never a bad time to have a good idea, and it's always a good time to drive and to to make it and you know but if you're the only one in a room believing you're either the only one that believes or you're a little crazy so it helps have groups of people around you that are validating what's going on but um i want to look at something because um you heard me just mention harley davidson and um kellyanne put the link to the harley davidson case study in the comments if you will it's done. but one of the things that um that i was thinking about with harley davidson came to mind as I was watching some headlines over the weekend. Because there's more going on here than just these headlines that you see. And that was something going on with CNN. So I see this thing on CNN, and as you know, for the last two weeks, everybody's been upset with CNN. Why? Because they hosted the town hall debate with President Donald Trump. And you know a lot of people are very upset by that. Now, how do you give a platform from this guy? And he kind of schooled them at several times during that debate. And the crowd that was there kind of was cheering him on. And so CNN walks out with egg on its face saying, oh, my gosh. And all the, the, the rank and file at CNN, the newsroom, and then the regular employees that are in research, marketing, finance, behind the scenes, running the company, they were all so upset. And Chris Licht was having to go out and say, wait, this is our job. We have to cover this. It's not about giving a platform or not giving a platform. This is the, we're about to elect a new president. And this guy is a candidate on the Republican side. And the polls are saying he's actually the front running candidate. So we got to do this. This is our job. And I think there's some real sensibility in that. And Chris Lick saying it's just my job. But also what was going on is his boss, David, David Zaslov, and David Zaslov, who is the, um, you know, the Warner Brothers Discovery CEO, and CNN is inside that group, he had a terrible weekend. He goes to Boston University. They invite him in to do a commencement. Now, meanwhile, he's walking into this during a writer's strike where the people that work in entertainment or other places in life are siding with the writers and saying, hey, you know, the media corporations are, you know, keeping their thumb down on these writers and there's going to, they need a new contract and AI is coming and they think they're just going to write, ChatGPT is just going to write sitcoms. This is terrible, you know, and they're all out there and the writers are on strike looking for reassurances, looking for if I write something creative and it's my creative and then you use ChatGPT to make 10 episodes, wait. That's my creative. That's my storyline. That's my, that's my construct. And so you can't just take that and do it. We want reasonable assurances and contracts, blah, 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 blah. So on one hand, Zaslav has got Warner, Discovery. Every network has got these writers on strike, and it's really at a boiling point in Los Angeles. So here with that in the background, over going on here with all of his networks, then the network he's trying to turn around, CNN, right, is 
is in the midst of this incredible employee reaction, and Chris Licht is there with people just throwing, you know, flaming balls of words at him, you know, because of what's going on, and they're angry about the town hall with Trump. He goes to Boston University. So David Zaslav goes to Boston University to encourage students and to give a commencement speech. And when he did that this weekend, did you see this, Kellyanne? Hmm. He had a, what can be described as an un- Fun time. Oh boy. It's basically he walked in to an episode of Duck Dynasty carrying a case of Bud Light. That's what happened, you know, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. Yeah. So he, he goes there in this and they booed him. You can go look it up. It's not important what happened. They booed him. Every time he tried to speak about something, they booed louder. There were times during his commencement address, Yikes. he's talking about, have vision for the future and do this. And they booed even louder to the point that he had to pause at several times and wait for them to finish. So what's the lesson for us? Because with all that going on, I thought it was kind of interesting, you know, and I said, there's gotta be a lesson in here. And that's what I was thinking about Harley Davidson and them turning around. I was thinking about CNN and them trying to turn around right now and the writer's strike. And what I pretty much, as I step back and look at it, is this. You know, you can get away with having bad reviews for your product, or you can get away with having a leadership crisis and bad morale at your company, but you can't get away with both. If you've got Yelp ratings that are at one, and you've got Google ratings that are at one, and you've got people that are upset and your employee morale is down, maybe it's because of a leader you have in, in product or in sales, or it's you, and you have to come to terms with the fact that you now your advisors or people you trust are telling you, hey, it's your leadership. That's why you have morale problems. At the, and now you've got your customers saying, so you can have a problem with morale or you can have a problem with product, but you can't have both. And right now, CNN's got both. And here's the lesson for us. You know, what do you do about it? The answer is you need to be aware of your leadership and what's happening with you and your company, number one. And number two, you have to, in terms of morale, in terms of how are people really feeling? Because if it's in the middle of a recession and you can only give out 3% raises and you manage to keep your health plan and you hear morale is low, you gotta get out and talk to them and say, look, I'm trying to keep us afloat and I'm trying to give basic raises and keep our healthcare benefits and fight with the healthcare benefit company about them raising it on us and I'm trying to keep it going. Bring people into it so they can see with authenticity what you're trying to do. So if that's something of your leadership there, if your leadership has got some other issue where maybe you didn't get along with someone who turned out to be a really popular product person, you couldn't deal with their ego, but they had the loyalty of their people and you haven't skipped a level to go down there to make sure you have relationships and that person leaves, now the morale's, morale is on you, can't do that. As a leader, you have to make sure that you're going top to bottom in your organization. Because only then, if you suddenly have a product problem, and CNN certainly has a product problem right now, they got people on the outside who are upset with CNN because they became oh so liberal. I don't watch it anymore. I'm looking for something down the middle. And then you've got 
you know, people that were on CNN that were let go. We all know what happened to Cuomo and everything else that went on, you know, and you've got an assortment of product-oriented issues and you're trying to fix product. You can't do both at once. You need your people to be with you in times of recession and when you all say, folks, we have to change this product and we have to change it now because people don't like it and it's not what people want. If you don't have your people under you, you can't change the product. If you're trying to change the product when you got a morale issue, that's exactly what's going on at CNN. So you can have employee morale problem and a product problem, but when, you can't have both. And that's what's going on right now. And so for you and me, know your people, conduct skip level meetings, make sure you're, you're aware of what is the pulse at your company. So when a recession hits, you know, at some uncertain time in the future, like, like now, you know, inflation hits, like now, changes are happening to the, to the whole economy, like now, and we're gonna talk about some sectors in a minute. You've got your people under you to come together in a huddle and say, look, we got a fixed product, we got some things we need to do, but it's us, not me. It's not me versus you, it's us. And I'm gonna maintain some raises, I'm gonna maintain what's going on with our benefits, I'm gonna do everything I can. Now let's go after our product because we're a little bit behind the times and we're gonna talk about Foot Locker in terms of that. Or the economy is behind and we're in a tough sector. We're gonna talk about trucking in just a second about that. But right now, I think the message is clear. CNN is completely upside down. Either Chris Licht is gonna be allowed to change the product or if the morale is just cratered, you know what, David Zaslav has to say, Chris, I'm sorry. It may not be your fault or it may be on me. It's on me, Chris, not on you, it's on me, but you gotta go. And I need to put in a different leader as we continue to work on the product. Because no one can deny that the product that is CNN, their overall product right now, sucks. You know, it is not neutral, it is not gaining traction, and the ratings are showing it that Americans don't dig it. So, you gotta take care of it. And by the way, don't laugh, business owners, leaders out there, don't laugh and point at CNN right now because we're all just one season, one economy from humility on our own. So, just remember that. Morale, okay. product. They can't both suck at the same time. Um, speaking of, okay. now I wanna step into something else. Some stats came out on Americans this weekend. We are tough, we are resilient, and we're also right now struggling. And what are we struggling with? With a couple things. And the first thing we're struggling is housing, housing costs, and debt. So actually, let's do debt first. Let me talk about debt first. So over the weekend, we got this stat that comes out that says, um, Americans are not paying off their credit cards. And I'm like, wait a minute. I remember this was going on during early COVID. And it's because so many, a lot of people were out of work, especially people in restaurants, entertainment and things where they just got shut down. So if you were a bartender, you were a hostess, hell, you were a cook, you were an assistant manager, all those people, you know, it's curbside pickup only. Nobody in restaurants, all those people got hurt terribly amusement parks, concert operators. Just think of all the places you think of, those folks got really hurt and it was terrible. And at the time, Americans weren't paying off credit card debt. 
Then came the news that thanks to the stimulus checks, you know when the government printed, and you know they don't really print money, it's digital issuance. When the government issued 1.2 trillion in stimulus, here you go, 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 and people, it's a fact, paid down credit card bonuses, not bonuses, balances, and then gave themselves a little bonus and spent a little bit. But we're now at a point where people are not paying off their credit cards again. Well, what happened here? 36% of U.S. adults now have more money in credit cards than they have saved. This is the net effect of 18 months of inflation just crushing. Remember the jokes about eggs and about fuel and about heating oil? And thank goodness it was a mild winter, so in the Northeast they didn't have to buy so much extra heating oil? Yeah, guess what? It's all back and then some. And I'm about to show you a chart that talks about this and to give you the most terrible punchline in the world. So if we could have the Fred chart, and if I could see what they see, that would be great. So we've got right now, so 36% of Americans owe more in credit cards than they have saved because they've been using up their savings on uh, household expenses. And here we are. So take a look at that. The gray bar vertically there, so if, if, you're, if you're driving or watching at home, what we have a chart here that shows the balance on consumer credit cards since the year 2000. And it was coming up gently, and then there was a big recession, you know, uh, in 2008-9, remember the financial sector collapse and housing, it goes down, but then it spikes. In 2010-11, credit card balances spiked, and then start going up gently, and then they drop in 2020, it's up, but it drops suddenly because stimulus checks paid it off. And it's been going up ever since. And now, ready for this? Consumer loans, credit cards, and revolving plans are almost a trillion dollars. It had gotten up over 800 million or at the time of COVID. Remember, you know, the, the famous thing that happened in March of that year, the COVID year, and it dropped all the way down into the almost 700, and now it's gone up $300 billion. Let me say that again. Credit card debt in America, starting in late 2021 to today, has gone up almost $300 billion. To give you a, a put that in perspective, the total debt, remember, that's the increase. It's the increase to almost a trillion dollars today, 300 billion is the increase. In 2008, at the time of the crash, it was just over 300 billion, about 350. And then it dropped down to exactly 300 after the crisis of 0809. But now we're almost at a trillion dollars, right at a trillion, and we've shocked it with another 300 million dollars. And Here's the punchline I read, and I couldn't believe it. So this is good statistics and good data. I dove in behind it, and this is coming from Fred. Yes. People are using credit cards right now to pay off mortgages each month. Let me say that again. Fred is reporting that banks are disclosing, because they know what you're paying it on, that people have started to put mortgage payments on their credit cards. Let me tell you something. 
you don't have to be a Nobel Prize winner to know that this story doesn't end well. We have a crisis. And for all of the BS that you see, that we're not really in a recession and things are really not that bad, baloney. We have a problem right now. So what does that mean for you and me? Inflation is crushing the middle class. It's crushed their savings, and now their credit card exceeds their savings, and we've added $300 billion to the total debt. And it means this. If you're a leader, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, you gotta know where your people are at, and you gotta do things whatever you can. That's why businesses are moving to Texas and Florida. Take the politics out of it. When you take state income tax off of the back of your employees, it gives them some breathing room when the salaries that you're paying them now. You know, this is the kind of things that leaders, business owners, entrepreneurs need to be thinking about. You know, everybody says, well, you gotta be in California because you seek venture capital. That's not true. You, you, you have to be near, you may need to be near labor, labor markets, but look at the insurance industry with annuities. Um, actuaries, are often working remote because there's so few of them. It's not because working remote is a perfect thing. You know my opinion, it's not. It doesn't instill teamwork, it doesn't build culture, a lot of things. But they can find remote people for something that's rare and a, a really gifted actuary is rare. So they do that. But everybody else, you gotta keep the band together. And it may be that you, you move the company. That may be that you move part of the company. Because these are not times to stick your head in the sand and just let it happen. As leaders, we need to know where our people are and do everything we can. Like I referenced just a few minutes ago, talking about do what you can to keep your health care benefits, do what you can to give some raise to your stars. Again, I hate these things. I hate bear markets. But you know what? I, I hate what they do. But... I love the stories that come out of them, stories of persistence, of leadership, of employees that say, I'm committed and I'm gonna make this work, of owners that won't give up on their key people. I love those stories. I don't like going through it, but I love the stories of perseverance because that is the American spirit of entrepreneurship and free enterprise and liberty and just living the American dream that says I'm gonna make it. But um, debt, now let's go take a look at those mortgages. So you, you see how I feel about that part. Now then, what's happening? Well, home prices have fallen by the most in a single month in over a decade. Now, monthly unit sales have dipped in 14 of the last 15 months, meaning the number of houses that sell each month is dropping. In 14 of the last 15 months, number of houses sold have dropped. Well, now, and so that means the sales are down 23, 24, 25% over last year. And last year they were down, I think, 33% over the prior year. So we are way down. Well, and additionally, medium prices have now dropped down. Because why didn't prices fall early? Simple. Interest rates went up. So fewer people were trying to buy the homes. So a seller had this inflated home price thanks to the COVID capital inflation because all that $1.2 trillion was basically digitally printed out of nowhere and it brought, the, it brought the asset prices up. And then 
Why would I go out and sell my house if I got to go get somewhere else with a high interest rate? What do you mean? Well, me and my wife had a 3% interest rate on this house we were in. We could sell it and make a nice profit. Yeah, but where are we going to go? And we're going to go into a 6.5%, 7% mortgage. Now, mortgages right now are, are closer to six and a quarter, but still, that ain't, that ain't 2.75. That ain't three. That doubles, doubles the payment on an equal basis. Doubles. Interest rate doubles, payment doubles, especially in the early days of a mortgage that hasn't aged for five years. Once you age it five years, there's some equity in there, so the prices, so the payment, when you reinitiate on an equal basis, won't double. But if those mortgages are less than five years, it tends to double. With the interest rate doubling, payment doubles. So you look at this chart again, and you can just take a look at it. You know, the sales price is now starting to come down, meaning, you know, that the median price fell by the most in a single month in 11 years. So it's been 11 years since we've seen a single month drop, and this was 1.7% dropped in April from the year earlier. So it appears that what's going on right now is the housing market is starting to soften up with some sales. So, and I think also people that can afford to get into a adjustable mortgage are believing that they're gonna see the the Fed, Jerome Powell, drop interest rates starting at the end of this year. BizDoc has forecasted a single drop of 0.25 in December. I've, I'm flat between now and then. Uh, June, I'm nervous that they're going to raise it, but I think it'll ultimately be flat from June to December, and then they drop it. Now, I think there's also going to be a recession in there, and there's going to be not good news, and, and it's not going to be ice cream and bubble gum for everybody. Uh, there's going to be some unemployment that is ticking up. But I think ultimately that's the medicine which will allow the economy to recover. We'll see. A lot of people say that this time it's different. But here you can see how the prices have started to drop. And I think it's all because there's a lot of people out there that are thinking, well, if I can get a six and a quarter now, maybe get an adjustable rate down in the mid fives. And as the interest rates go down, maybe a year from now, I can refinance at four, maybe three, seven, five. That's what a lot of people are thinking. And the prices are starting to come down a little bit to attract those buyers to market. So again, let's talk about the lesson for you and me. I feel for you if your business is connected to, to consumer homes. If you're in mortgages, you, you are suffering. You just gotta find a way to help your best mortgage brokers eat and come out on the other side and just keep your best ones and keep your company afloat. A lot of people in constructions where people are taking out HELOCs to do their kitchen or bathrooms or remodeling or, or even necessary things, like they do a foundation project in Dallas because they have to. They, do a, they, they have to do $8,000 deductible on their roof because of a hailstorm in the Midwest and that's their part of it. Insurance pays the rest, but they gotta come up with eight grand. You know, it is a time, if you're in an industry where you have exposure to HELOCs or consumers and consumer capital on their house, and they're, they're necessarily gonna be spending less right now, now is the time to get creative. You can't be a bank for those customers, but your customers will remember when the day when you were trying to work with them when times were tough, they will remember you when it's time for referrals, especially when you call back and say, how you doing? You getting through this? 
and able to do necessary things and to do so where you're doing everything you can to make a buck but keep your prices kind of fighting the inflation curve if you can. Your customers are going to remember it and so are your employees. But now is the time for a lot of creativity and keep your best employees and trim everything you can. Do you really need two assistants at the business? And I'm not trying to make people unemployed. I'm trying to save the business. You know, when you have cancer, sometimes, you know, you lose your prostate. You, you know, women go through terrible experience with breast cancer, mastectomies. When times are dire and the economy can get there, and I'm not comparing the loss of a business to a human life, I'm not. But I'm saying metaphorically, there's a mindset that goes in there that says, I may have to cut a little to save the whole, the whole thing. And that's exactly what great leaders do at these times. And that's exactly what's necessary, and we're, we're, we're seeing it. And so consumers, we just saw with consumer debt and mortgages and the impact on housing and HELOCs, it's tough times. And those of you that are exposed to that, that are in construction, remodeling, and things like that, Now's the time to save the best people and be as tight as you can. Save the company so that when things turn and you come back out on the other side, and I think it's going to be about a year that you're in a position. And that's my, my two cents on that, along with a big, big bucket full of encouragement. There's something else I want to talk about. Um, sectors. You can be in a sector that's in trouble as well. So I'm going to talk about a sector, and then I'll talk about a comeback story uh, for a company and lessons for you and me. The first thing is next sector is trucking. Um, and this, I think, will validate things about the economy and why, you know, you can say, oh, BizDoc, you've just been a bear for about a year. No, I've been a bear in the face of data. I don't want to be a bear. I've already shared with you. I'm an optimistic entrepreneur who believes we can invent our way out of anything, and I'm an operator that believes I can manage through it, and I can drive people, and I can optimize, and I can get there. That's who I am. I never give up. Never give up. So I'm not a bear. Mm -hmm. Stop calling me bear, and stop <laughs> sending me these DMs saying you're just a bear. <laughs> Says I'm a bull, but the bulls aren't running right now. The bulls are... The bulls are held back, trucking. So for those that say we're not in a recession, don't have to believe this, keep spending, namely politicians that can't have the story be that the economy's tough, just can't have that. Uh-huh. Well, let me show you this. Do you remember at the end of the COVID cycle when suddenly we didn't have enough trucks and we couldn't get chips shipped from the docks to the manufacturing uh, facilities for cars and trucks. Do you remember that? And we couldn't get things, you know, in, in stock at Walmart because trucking, you know, we didn't have enough truckers and they're driving around and we couldn't get the gasoline delivered fast enough. Remember all that? Well, some freight is officially in trouble. And for everybody that says the U.S. economy is fine, there's no recession, and things are okay, look at this. Truckers believe they are about to go into a downturn that's worse than 2008. And I'm talking independent truck drivers that are usually mom-and-pop organizations that bought the cab, that truck with the sleeper unit, that they're driving. That's their, 
That's their home and that's their job. And these people deliver a huge percent of the goods and services to us. There's a lot by rail and a lot by boat. Boat gets them to the port, rail moves them around, but there's nothing that moves as much trucking. And it will give us a glimpse into the broader economy of what's going on. Check this out. Um, inflation, higher operating and maintenance costs, and the declining demand for goods are affecting trucking. Wait, what did they just say? Declining demand for goods? Oh, nobody's buying extra stuff on a credit card when you're putting your mortgage on a credit card. So guess what? No new sneakers that month. Yeah. Uh-huh. You tracking? You, 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 you smelling what I'm tasting? I think you are. Drivers are now being paid $1.49 per mile. Did you know those were $3 per mile two years ago? When they desperately needed truckers, when all that was going on immediately post-COVID, they were being paid $3 a mile. Now they're getting $1.49 a mile. That's half. Truckers are getting half. And they have ways that they can deny a load. You know, like sometimes the mysterious cancellation you get from Lyft or from Uber that they got to be something in there. They know where you're going because you'll get a cancellation when they're supposed to be someone on the little map supposed to be coming to you. All of a sudden there's a cancellation. Hey, what's going on? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Here we go. They can turn down loads. And so the turn down rate, I think it's called drayage denial rate. So anyway, there's a phrase for it in the trucking industry. <clears throat> they can say, no, I don't want to take that. So get this. J.B. Hunt, which is, um, I believe, a tremendous player in trucking. Uh, you can see their trucks everywhere talking about happy drivers. And usually they have like Bible verses on there. So they, they tend to be a company that's known for taking care of their drivers, taking care of their people. Um, they're saying that what they're seeing right now is starting to remind them of 2009. That's bad, very bad. So if you're in transportation right now, you need to take care of your best customers and your best drivers, and you really need to weather the storm. Um, and you hear we're saying this a lot, because right now, um, they're saying that they also believe that this is gonna be a 12-month storm before demand picks back up for a lot of things. So, for everybody that says everything's fine, everything's good, there's an awful lot of things going on here that are pointing to that America is about to have a very tough year, and there's already a lot of toughness showing up in the market today. So trucking, you know, that's a leading indicator. Because when the truckers say, hey, we're starting to see reduced demand for the products, who's buying the products? Retailers. So if they're not buying them, then the retailer is sensing softness or they're gonna carry constrained inventory for some reason on certain things or reduce inventory because they're not selling as much because the retailer doesn't want to be caught with the inventory in the middle. They can't. There's a lot more to mass retail economics I could go into, but they can't be stuck with that. They can't. Their, their margins are too thin. <clears throat> so when the truckers say, hey, we're seeing $1.50 a mile versus three, and we're seeing reduced load demand, you can bet there's something going on in the economy and it's about to get serious. So from there, speaking of getting serious, you know, in life, sometimes you have the liberty of enough time to turn something around. Like when another team scores 14 points in the first quarter, there's three quarters of football left. 
And the turnaround stories are legendary. Just look at um, New England versus Atlanta in the um, Super Bowl less than five years ago. You see what happened there. Um, New England came back because there was enough time. You also see other games, no matter what sport you like, and you don't even have to be a sports person to <clears throat> know of certain stories you may have seen out there where, hey, they ran out of time. They ran out of time to catch them in the season standings. They ran out of time in a single game, even though they were hot and they had a comeback going. They ran out of time. That's the way you as a business need to think. So to entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and people everywhere, you need to think about the amount of time that's on the clock and the amount of time that you have left to turn around. And you can take decisive action and should because hope is not a method. Oh, I hope that the, just the, the old sales levels and the old economy will come back when this is over. What do you mean when this is over? In many ways, we're seeing things for the first time. What do you mean when it's over? There's no nine innings in the economy. There's no four quarters football, basketball in the economy. You don't know what the new reality is going to be. There's rules in sports that will be followed tomorrow as they are today. Not in business. This time it's different can be a very, very real thing. So you can't wait. So let's talk about a company that did wait. Foot Locker. You know, things have been changing in sneakers for a while. You know, I love Air Max 95s. It's not an endorsement of Nike. I just happen to like those shoes. And I've been able to go back and get a couple color combinations that I saw and I wore in 2007, 2008 because they're available on reissue. Um, I can go do that. But that's me, middle-aged guy that's looking for sneakers that were comfortable, that fit well, that, that I love them. There's also collectors out there. There's people that like Jordans and like all the different color combination of Jordans. Jordans that match the color of their fam favorite team. And it doesn't have to be, you know, Chicago. You know, the original Air Jordan black, red, black, and white. Chicago Bulls colors. No. Well, Foot Locker kind of missed the boat. Also, they allowed an entire industry of broker resellers to be, you know, germinated on eBay. And then stores come up there that are doing it. And websites that are doing it. Well, Foot Locker did this. Well, suddenly, Foot Locker has its back to the wall. And over the weekend, there is this um, uh, story that kind of snuck out. And I'm sure that Foot Locker didn't want it to be as big as the story is getting. Um, it had to be out there. They had to make an announcement. But I think they're probably shocked by the response. <clears throat> They've announced that they're going to close more than 400 in-mall stores. This comes from CBS News, Forbes, and others. And they've got this program in place that they're calling Lace Up. And it's their, their plan to reset their business. Um, and they said they want to grow revenue to $9.5 billion by 2026. So from now to 2026, which is about three years they've got on this plan, that's what they say they're going to do. And they said the sneakerhead mindset is on the rise. Wait a minute. Where the hell have you been? I could never let my CEO make such a statement in public. This is a time that they need to rally their troops and say, you know what? We were in the malls. 
Moms and dads and people came in for sneakers in the malls, and our stores were uniform. Meanwhile, people were collecting Air Jordans. Resale markets jumped up. We weren't there. People were buying more and more online. We weren't there. We didn't believe people would buy online. You go back and you take a look at quotes from Foot Locker executives going back between now and seven years ago, and you have people that were in denial about what was happening online apparel. You got to try them on. You got to feel them. Really? There's an awful lot of online sneaker sales going on for this to be impossible to get a satisfactory purchase online. Guess what? Well, it's all come home for Foot Locker. Will they have enough time to pull up the turnaround? Don't know. But they're talking about, well, you know, we're going to have different stores. We're going to have little pop-up stores. And we're going to treat the store in Compton that's heavy on, on um, all the basketball shoes, treat it differently from this store that's over here in Macon, Georgia, and this store that's here in Indianapolis, and a store that's in Dallas-Fort Worth, and stores that are catering more to kids and those cute little sneakers that kids wear. And we're going to do all that. We're, to which the question that I have is, where have you been? Where have you been? <laughs> and for those of you that run in your own businesses, you may not have the ability like Foot Locker does to maybe go get a bond or a big debt issuance or, or use significant profits to go do this. We're talking about a multi-billion dollar organization here. You're talking about huge. That is that is come to the party and so many of these trends late. They were late to the party on everything. So for them to say, oh, we're online, we sell online, yeah, but you're late. Other people, other people got out in front of you. Oh, we're going to do things with the, you know, the, uh, the collector and we're going to have stores that cater to that. You're late. And it just goes to show if you're late to the party and you're big enough, maybe you can survive. But you and me, what does this mean for us? I'll tell you what it means. Means this. Means that you can't afford to wait to make a decision to change. And actually, I'll summarize it this way Do you and me have the kind of time to change our business and to restart the way Foot Locker does? Are we multi billion dollar companies that can put together some cash to close 400 stores, reopen them in different formats because we were late to so many industry trends? No, we don't have that. So we have to make informed good decisions today you have to be nimble you have to be on top of it once upon a time microsoft said i don't think the internet's going to mount to anything yes they did meanwhile they were trying to sell on carta which was a dictionary on a dvd that had an enormous amount of information in it but it was hardly the internet it was groundbreaking in a, for a moment but then suddenly you could get anything anywhere on the internet so do you and i have this kind of time we don't so we have to make objective, fast decisions today. <clears throat> and people have asked me, well, what do I do about that? Simple. This world is about product and distribution. What product is out there and do the people want it and your distribution? In the old days, you could say, well, I make these kind of products and I want to protect my retailers. I ship to retailers. Meanwhile, big box retailers are going under. What if you were a key supplier to Bed Bath & Beyond and you're selling cookware or whatever it is, um, you know, towels, whatever they, where they were selling, and you're selling them through Bed Bath & Beyond and they implode? Now what? What if you hadn't been innovative on distribution? In this world, you've got to be innovative on product and innovative on distribution, both. 
And it's so many times they'll say is, if you're selling direct, we won't like that. Yeah, meanwhile, Bed Bath & Beyond's going out of business. Yeah, right. So if you follow too closely, you're gonna go right off the cliff with them. So for us, you have to be nimble, you have to be smart, you have to modify your product to stay with your customer. And on distribution, there are so many digital distribution opportunities that are out there, and there's so many di digital distribution tools that are out there. Heck, you can go into a, if you ship with Amazon Prime, you can go into a Whole Foods, and there's a whole set of lockers there. You don't even have to worry about your favorite sneakers getting stolen off your front porch anymore. You can just have them sent to a locker and pick it up conveniently. But Foot Locker is like a cat with nine lives, and they have an opportunity here to make a, a bit of a turnaround and come back. And, you know, 50% of their retail is coming from North America in stores, in-store. So they got some things to do. And so my encouragement to you is I got nothing against Foot Locker, but I objectively look at it. Don't be a Foot Locker. You may not have time to turn around. You may not have time to make a comeback. You may not have time to make an adjustment. And worse, you may not be able to get the loan or capital you need to get there. So... That's what I have to say about that. When times are tough and I'm not the bull, be, be the bear. Excuse me. I just said I'm not the bull. I'm getting so excited here, I'm backwards. <laughs> I'm not the bear. I'm a bull. And I'm trying to drop my horns and chase that bear out of my business. Yeah. <clears throat> Doing everything I can to get there. Some things are going to wait till capital frees up and things, but that's what I'm trying to do. And one of the best ways to do it, I'm going to tell you a little bit about, is the Vault Conference. This is a conference that Valuetainment does because we're trying to bring content from me, the biz doc, to you like this. And I hope this is valuable. I hope I leave you better than I find you every week. But also, we've got the Vault Conference where you can come or bring a couple of colleagues with you to Florida on August 30th to September 1st, where we're going to be talking about entrepreneurship. We're going to be talking about your business, talking about it running. And there are some people that are going to be there if you roll it back a little bit, that I want you to see. If you can see this on screen, otherwise I'll read it to you. Recently, there was a fantastic book about unreasonable hospitality, the story about how uh, a restaurant professional with an entrepreneurial heart drove his restaurant in New York City to be the number one ranked restaurant in the world. Number one, his name is Will Gadara. And Will Goddard wrote that book. He will be there to talk about how he turned it around, built teams, adjusted products, you know, affected the experience. The same things you do, whether you're a restaurant owner or not, he will be at the vault and be able to hear from him. You also have Tom Brady. Gee, does he know something about Tom? Does he know something about building teams? Does he know something about adversity? Come back next season after a tough season? Does he know something about winning? He sure does. He's going to be there, Patrick Bet David, and they're having an interview on stage. Learn about that. Then Mike Tyson will be there. And Mike Tyson is just fun to listen to. He is very, he's rational, controlled, and he's got a whole story of his past, of things he did, things he didn't do, how it came out. And we're going to hear from him about how he turned things around and what he did and the story of leadership, adversity, and being a champion. All of that at the vault on top of a thick layer of curriculum that will help you run your company better, lead your team better, and develop as a leader yourself. So that's part of what we put on to do it. So that's what you will get out of the vault. We hope to see you here August 30th, September 2nd, right there, 
Fort Lauderdale at the Diplomat Hotel, which is uh, right around the corner from Fort Lauderdale Airport. And we look forward to seeing you there. Also, people have said, I want more questions from the audience because I love it when you dynamically answer a question. Well, we have a little time here, so let me see if we have a question. And let's look at these one at a time. So am I seeing these or are they seeing these? You are. Just me. Okay. Um, BizDoc, do you believe this market will only be a downward path for the year? Are we heading something bigger? Well, um, I've... I've said that this is one man's opinion, and this is what I think. I think the Fed in the United States is going to lower rates by about a quarter point in December, but it's going to take about a year to sort this out. Um, and I don't see volumes coming back for a year. And it says, BizDoc, why is the stock market up if all these things are going on? The stock market is up for a couple reasons. You may have heard me on the PBD podcast say that when all those layoffs happen, what happens is the next quarter or two, companies, if their sales were at least flat, have less expenses so their profits look better. And what that does, that helps in the market. So think of it this way. You and your spouse have a child. The child goes to college. As soon as they go to college, you're not buying clothes, you're not buying food, and you take them off your car insurance. So you can have the same salary living in the same house, but all of a sudden, you and your spouse have a little extra, let's call it profit. Make sense? Because your kid's at college, and even if, you're, you know, if they are on scholarship, you suddenly have more extra money, call that extra profit. So when you lay off a bunch of people in business, you end up with more profit as long as your sales stay at least flat. If your sales just tick up a little bit, you end up with a lot more profit. So guess what? Your stock goes up on the stock market. So right now, the stock market is not an indicator of the health of the economy. The stock market is an indicator of profits being generated by companies who have made moves in advance of the bigger moves in the economy. That's what's going on. Next question. Um, what do I do in this economy to save my business and my best people? You know, I, I've talked about that. You have to lock in things with your best customers. And you may just decide that you talk to your best people, maybe you take a slower draw. I do not recommend ever going into a lost position into your own pocket. If you can get um, a little bit better financing from your bank, if you can, you know, keep your prices you know, in line with inflation, maybe a little bit below, and tell your customers. You're in landscaping, you're in whatever it is, you're in painting, and you tell your customers, listen, I'm making less profit this year I did last year because I'm trying to keep my business going, and I'm keeping my best painters, and I'm trying to do that to serve you in this economy. I hope you appreciate it. I hope you give me referrals. That kind of attitude bonds you with your customers. Great customers like me, I'm going to make sure everybody on my block, I come into contact at, at my kids' schools, my church, anything I do, I'm going to make sure they know your name. If a painter says that to me and does a really good job, I'm like, they're trying to help their customer base. And so you pick your best customers, you pick your best employees. Do your best employees know that say, you've been with me a long time and I'm going to do everything I can to help you? Are they with you with the plan? use their ideas at the same. I'm not saying it's easy, I'm just saying that's the way that you have to do it. Um, I think what's going on is um, uh, somebody asked, um, 
How much is AI a consideration in the battle between, you know, um, the uh, Writers Guild of America and, and these platforms? I think it's a big thing. If a writer comes up with a concept, let's face it, I don't think that ChatGBT or AI is going to come up with concepts for shows. They can come up for concepts, but it's a human element of a writer that visualizes a character and all of the nuances of that character and which actor is really going to bring that to life. I mean, you can see the way casting and characters work so amazingly well. Some of Johnny Depp's movie. I mean, Johnny Depp is Jack Sparrow. What a perfect example of how the actor brings the character to life. Writers see that and feel all that. I don't think it's AI doing that. I think it's once I give you a construct and I've got an idea for a story thread, like maybe it's Breaking Bad. I don't think AI is going to give us Walter White or, 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 or give us, you know, Crazy Eight. And those characters, remember those first couple episodes? Boy, you talk about the death of Crazy Eight, the worst death ever contemplated. That was horrible, what Walter White had to go through and when he had, had the, the bike lock and he killed the guy to save himself. I don't think AI is going to come up with those, those amazing storylines and characters. But once you have it, can it mimic and create episodical narrative around sitcoms and things? I think it's possible, but I think that's what the writers don't want. Hey, if I'm creating a construct, I've got an innovative idea, why should I lose that idea to AI and get paid a pittance? I just want to be paid. So I think AI is a big part of it, and I think there's a certain part of creativity in writing that you can't replicate with AI, but I see their concern about can you turn it into multiple episodes and stamp it out? Once AI learns how the characters talk to each other, AI learns how you created stress in each storyline, how AI er learns how the characters engage as, as protagonist and antagonist and storylines and plot complications. Once you give AI enough, it can mimic you. And so that's, I think, what the writers are worried about. It just goes to show you in, in this day and age, you've got to be aware of what's going on and you may have to make adaptations. Um, and it's, um, it's really tough. Anyhow, that's this week. I love the fact that you were here. I hope you got something out of it. Please leave me comments about people you'd like to see me interview, entrepreneurs you'd like to see us interview, topics you'd like to see us cover, because we go through all the comments. And until next week, I'm Tom Ellsworth, The Biz Doc, and I hope I left you better than I found you.